Welcome to the Best of Agile and Scrum podcast, hosted by Agile Cockpit, accelerating organizations through data-driven transformation. My name is Martin, and I'm your host. Today, we are talking to Dean Leffingwell, co-founder and chief methodologist of Scaled Agile Inc., best known for its Scaled Agile framework. Dean, thank you very much for joining us. For those that do not know you, could you briefly introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Martin. Thanks for having me. Um, as you mentioned, I'm Dean Leffingwell. I'm, uh, I've been around this industry for some 40 years, basically always doing the same thing, trying to figure out ways to help software teams meet their goals. Uh, those teams have gotten bigger and bigger, and the goals have got bigger and more bold, and that's created a really fascinating career. I've written about software development practices and methods throughout my career. Um, and like everyone else, around 2000, 2001, I discovered agile development. And like most, maybe not all, I was completely tipped. So since that period, I've been an Agilist, now a scaled Agilist. In 2011, I met with uh, some some folks from the industry and they said, let's give it a go. Let's start a company to see if we can bring this model to the masses. I was somewhat reluctant. I'd been a CEO my whole career and didn't want to be again. But long story short, threw in the towel, said, let's give it a shot. And we built a company, Scaled Agile Inc. I was a co-founder there. Uh, CEO for much of its history. Now I'm not. We have a great new CEO, Chris James. It's fully, fully operational and running the company. And I serve as chief methodologist, continuing to work on the things I like to work on, which is what's the tip revision of our known knowledge to develop the world's most important systems. And of course, that always goes through software. So kind of geek at heart. I'm an engineer, actually systems engineer. Never studied software, but I gravitated to it because nobody knew how to write programs for those machines that were invented, you know, back in the, in the, in the 1980 and 1990. So that's my history. Still a geek, entrepreneur, um, still very fascinated by the challenge. As we learn more, the challenge moves. So consequently, it's never boring if you're thinking about building large-scale systems using the best possible methods, now lean and agile. Excellent. Thank you for the introduction. And today we're talking about one of those uh, key components in systems thinking and, and yep. agility, which is say 5.0 and dealing with the new reality of remote working. So to start off with say 5.0, the focus of that is clearly on business agility and the market is heading into that direction as well, uh, as opposed to agile just being that technology only yep. party. So could you tell us a little bit more about what triggered that expansion and why that is so important? Uh, yeah, I'll start by admitting that I was a little bit slow to this particular thread because we are systems engineers, you know, we're computer scientists, we're people that help other people make things that go bump in the night. Um, so we wanted to stay focused on making great tech IP for tech companies. And yet what has happened, of course, is that essentially every business is now dependent upon software. Um, look, look at what's going on with, you know, brick and mortar nowadays. So it was actually a year and a half ago, a little more, where we started to incorporate design thinking into SAFE. And part of design thinking is this divergent process up front, right? It's the understand the problem, divergent diamond piece. So we had a backlog of ideas, our epics, if you will, for going into what was going to be a 5.0-like version. And we said, let's not present those to our peeps. So we went to the summit at that time and met with our SBCTs, there were 50 or 60, we met with our partners and we also had a voice of the customer session. And we went to the SBCTs with a whiteboard and said, we don't know what we should build, you're going to tell us. And then Luke Coleman facilitated a session that ran about a half a day and they created about 10 epics. Now, most of those were known to us. It wasn't surprising that we wanted to 
you know, to have some advanced support for SBCs and, and work in the leadership area uh, and, and move some of our courses and do more in DevOps. What was surprising is that two of those epics were created by almost all the teams working individually. One was about, we need business agility. SAFE needs to help us run a better business. And the second one, kind of over in the upper right corner, if you will, on the whiteboard, was we need to measure how we're doing. So that was interesting because neither measuring agility or measuring progress against the safe adoption, which frankly, I have mixed emotions about. The goal is not to be safe. The goal is to get the results that safe can deliver. We looked at those two and then I went back to the tables that said, okay, business agility is your number one. Three or four tables had that. So I asked them each what it was and how many answers do you think I got, Martin? Oh, I think you got a variety of different answers. For I, got, sure. I got five answers from three tables. So what I realized is there's a thirst to, to expand the impact of Agile to really help the business, but, we, but nobody really knew how to define that. So we, we went away um, humbled by this input from our partners and from our end customers and from the SBCTs and said, we need to sort this out. And we came to the conclusion that understanding business agility and measuring it was part of the same process. So we had to create, like we do, we create our own definitions. They're not perfect, but they're at least self-consistent. So we describe business agility as ability to create innovative business solutions to allow you to compete in the digital age. A very tech-biased view, for sure. But the enterprises that we work with and the ones that you work with, the people that we teaching class when we've been there together, those people are building big systems to support business insurance, uh, trading, uh, various you know, financial transactions, whatever, uh, what, whatever those things are. So when we said that business agility is dependent on technical agility, but needs more, it needs organizational agility specifically and the learning culture, that gave us the insights. So that reframed version five of SAFE with the top part for business agility and tucked in the upper right corner there is measure and grow because we want to achieve business agility and we, we like to be honest with our market in general. It's not a trivial thing to do an agile transformation of any type and it's certainly not trivial to transform a business with a thousand or 50,000 employees to a lean and agile way of working. It's an investment. And while we don't go around with a number on our sleeve and say be prepared to invest millions in training, the reality is people have to invest millions in training. So the question became, what's our ROI on that and how do we measure it? We said, well, certain of these aspects, these attributes, the competencies are pretty clear. You're getting products out the door better than you were, yet you're better matching demand to capacity, your flow is increasing, et cetera. So that created this body of work that was both business agility, the new content, and the assessments measure and grow around business agility. So it was a really nice 360. But I will tell you, it took us that full year to figure out what we could mean by it, what others meant by it, and be able to kind of compare and contrast, and then to implement the specific guidance that, for example, we have guidance now for Agile business teams. Well, this isn't impossible to consider, but we didn't go to marketing and say, you should work this way. We worked with our marketing team and said, how is Agile working for you? And we had to harvest those lessons. So just as that example, uh, we worked with our team and said, what's it like to be uh, a, a, an agile marketing team? And by the way, in our case, they're on the art, so that was relatively straightforward. But we then had to learn those patterns, document those patterns, and put them in safe. 
We had to prove that. So a year later, we put 5.0 in the market, but as you recall, it was preview. Preview for two reasons. The stuff has to work and people have to be able to see it and try it before we really go GA. And secondly, we had to, we had to develop all the coursework to match the, the framework. So we had about a 90-day period there where we developed the coursework to match and, and brought forward things like, well, Safe for Teams was so technical that if you brought marketing people in, they, they would zone out and say that course wasn't for me. Well, most teams are technical, so we had a balancing act. Do we still teach the continuous delivery pipeline and safe for teams? Or do we start to talk about a little more generically about managing workflow, um, testing first, building quality in, small batches and small releases? And we took that kind of principle-based pattern. So that created 5.0. Now, of course, lots of other things happen. Design thinking and customer centricity is, is central to 5.0. You know, can you get business agility if your customers don't like your stuff? No. So lots and lots of changes, but it was definitely framed uh, in the context of business agility. And at the time, we thought it was timely, but I'll tell you, in the last 60 days, I don't think people care a lot about technical agility if it doesn't help their business survive and thrive in this amazing, you know, crisis we're in. So it was timely, serendipity. Not so much foresight, not brilliance on the part of the inventors figured this out. It was our market saying, hey, we need something you're not providing. We provided it and it became incredibly timely. Right. And, and I, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and to the point you made before, a lot of organizations these days are software organizations, right? Brick and mortar industries are having a hard time. So even if an organization is not technically a software organization in the traditional sense of the word. I mean, they have those software components, right? So that's the, the tricky thing I imagine with, with introducing business agility, not to have the balance tip the other way and totally forget about those technical teams that every business needs these days. Right. And there's a second theme in that. And I know that those of us who've been at this for a while, like you and Pranjal on the podcast here, there's a point at which you've done about what you can for the technical teams and the technical programs and the arts can relieve backlogs and get stuff out. And then you hit the ceiling and the ceiling is everything from capitalization practices to stage gated waterfall governance models to auditors that assume it's a stage gated model to capitalization rules that depend on stage gated models to expectations at the board level that you should have a three year firm fixed roadmap and that you you just, you just don't have any, you just don't really have any merit as an executive team if you can't show me your roadmap. So frankly, honestly, we had a wall and that wall was while wow, our business partners and frankly, the people that fund us, the people that are ultimately responsible, aren't really engaged in this larger lean and agile process. So business agility was a great kind of top excuse to frame agility in a way that they would get it. And secondly, to bring in the right stakeholders to start thinking about you know, shaping demand to match capacity. It's not an unlimited thing. You, you don't go into a crisis like this and say, we are going to now do seven new things and oh, still all gonna do the old ones. You can't, you'll overload the system. You'll end up doing neither well. So I think those two trends were really timely. The one we definitely felt the, you know, the hitting the upper wall or the ceiling, if you will. The second one was a bit of surprise at how fast the market started talking about we need our business to be agile. And as you've seen in the recent trades press from Forbes to HBR, all of a sudden is a topic de rigueur at the C-level 
uh, uh, for, you know, for Forbes. Well, that's just interesting. And for us, it's serendipity, but it's nice that sometimes when you listen first, you get an answer you didn't anticipate and it puts you in a better place. So thanks to all our SBCTs out there and our customers and partners for making sure you drove us in the right direction. And then uh, a note of humility on our part, which is I'm really glad we stop and listen first. I'll tell you a story about that. I, 25 years ago, I was a CEO of another company and we did one of those management 360s where you went and assess yourself. It's tough as a CEO because a lot of, a lot of stuff episodes on your desk. And the takeaway for me was a sign in the back of my, I put it on my wall because that's where we met executives and their advice to me was Dean, listen first. So that, I don't always do that, but I'm all constantly reminded that I should. And, and uh, I, in the conversations I've had over the past couple of weeks in recording these podcasts, that's also a theme, right? That yep. first respond later. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little back, you mentioned uh, a couple of those competencies, right? So uh, yeah. say 5.0 is really strong on mindset, behavior, yeah. competencies, and, and you really need those in order to be successful at any agile transformation. So uh, could you tell us what drove the increased focus on those things in say 5.0? Yeah, so one of the challenges you have, let's go back to that ceiling, right? I remember X years back, many years back now, I was addressing, I was brought in to help one of the world's largest PMOs, at least it seemed large at the time, help help them understand how Agile was going to benefit them. And I had my, at those days, you know, Scrum and XP slides and a little bit of scaling slides, Agile architecture. And I realized I was walking in a room where they didn't care about that at all. They're not going to run Scrum. They don't develop those systems. Uh, it, it, they might be fascinated by the fact that, holy cow, oh, you, 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 your teams are agile. Great, I'll get more stuff quicker. Here's more stuff I need. And by the way, here's the requirements which our customer gave us and they're non-negotiable. So I realized I had nothing for them, honestly. It's like, I didn't want to go into the meeting because I'm going to talk about stuff they don't care about. So I backed up and I started talking about lean thinking, time to market, accelerating time to market, eliminating waste and scrap, uh, faster response times, and the benefits of real lean and agile at scale. And that changed the tenor because I asked that group, is our time to market adequate? Is our quality adequate? Are we as competitive as we need to be to thrive? And they said, well, by the way, some of them said, oh yeah, we're great. And then there was this interesting pause in the room where three or four people stood up and say, folks, can we stop kidding ourselves? We're, what we're doing isn't working and we can defend it all we want, but we're losing market share. We're no longer the fastest in the marketplace. And if we don't change, we're gonna die. And then the rest of the, rest of the people in the room, there are 20 some people in the room and maybe 20 more on the line said, yeah, next slide please. So that was a breakthrough. So at that point, six, eight, nine years ago, I said, we need to understand the why and the principles, not the what and the how. So we started focusing on mindset. And I actually used that to create what became Leading Safe. And Leading Safe is, it's a technical course because you you learn about lean and agile, but there's no software in it. There are no test cases written. There's There's no Java, there's no class libraries, there's no architecture. It's about the principles. And when you go to that class, it's still, I guess, mildly awkward 
the first six hours is quite abstract because it's about the principles. Because the reality is the folks at the PMO, the 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 CFOs, the the, the program managers, the, the people that really fund the business, they need to operate on principles, not practices. They'll then adopt the practices. Yeah, you can throw a daily stand-up an executive team and they might do it. Are they going to sprint and scrum? Are they going to have a PO? Maybe, maybe not. But if they go, wow, we need to visualize work. We need to match demand to capacity. We need to understand where the bottlenecks are. We need to accelerate throughput. They're going, I'm in. Let's talk more. That's the game changer, basically. That, that was a game changer. So that's when I pivoted to, honestly, teaching management first. And in a couple of very large rollouts at that point, I made a new rule which is if I can't teach the leaders first, I don't want to get engaged because it's just too, it's too exhausting to go that far and then not get the job done. And of course, what did the, the company say? We don't have time for new training. And what did I say? I don't have time for this enterprise. And then they said, begrudgingly fine. You get one day. And I said, nope, gonna, it's going to take two. And they said, well, okay, fine, but this better be good. And, and then within a couple of hours, they're, they're flipping pennies and they're looking at the A-B test and they're analyzing WIP and they're visualizing work and they're going, oh my God. Uh, so excuse me, oh my gosh, there's some really good stuff in here that, that could help us run the business. And that's when, frankly, that's when scaling happened. Not because I said, hey, there's, a, there's other, you know, there's ways to organize the arts, et cetera, et cetera. It's when the executives and leaders said, wow, I think we can visualize work, match demand capacity, get faster time to market, improve quality. Who doesn't want some of that? Right. And I guess we all know the answer, and yep. that's why we're here. Um, so uh, we mentioned the, 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 the pandemic before COVID-19. Yeah. Right? So organizations are now faced uh, with, with, with forcibly having to work remotely. So does that, in your opinion, change anything about the way SAFE works? It does, absolutely. I'll, I'll give you the, the real point of this. The rule in SAFE, which we've never expressed as a rule, but it should be a principle or it should be in the manifesto, is the people that do the work plan the work, right? The manifesto states face-to-face -face communication is best. We translated that into face-to-face -face PI planning, and we raised lots of eyebrows in the industry, and we saw executives go, do you know, realize what the travel budget is going to be for that? But we won that battle. And after the first face-to-face -face planning, nobody knows how to plan anymore without doing that. Well, guess what? So now does that, the rule no longer applies because we're remote? No, the rule still applies. The people that do the work plan the work. The people that do the work commit to the work. The people that plan the work and commit to the work are responsible for the work. The leaders are responsible for setting mission and vision and then backing off. So we were at a, our own crisis and we had our own PI planning coming up and we had customers that were stalled and we said, we've got to make this work. And we did our first PI planning. We did a blog post on that and a fun little video. Honestly, it went extraordinarily well. Now, personally, I surely hope to be in a room with my peeps again and rubbing shoulders and getting osmosis. But we got alignment out of that. We've seen some people surprisingly say it was more effective. I don't believe ours was more effective, to be honest, but it was effective. It still met the principle. The people that do the work, plan the work, they gain alignment with their business, uh, their business stakeholders. The business leaders set the mission and vision, and they can set objectives, but they don't define the work. They don't give you the how, they give you the intent. We do the what and the how. That is, frankly, the largest rule of Agile that's never expressed. 
specifically. But for me, that's the rule that matters most. So if that went away and said, oh, we're distributed now, so let's regather our PMO teams together and sit down with a customer and write specs, then everything goes to heck and we, we lose the entire game. So we can't let that happen. We have to make sure that we plan, we plan concurrently. We plan as face-to-face -face as we can. We gain the commitment from people that do the work. I, was, I, I, I saw a little a blog post the other day about people saying, you know, some debates about PI planning. I was in a room one time where a woman was crying in the second day. And I went over and asked her what she was crying about because it shouldn't be crying in PI planning. <laughs> and she said, I've been at this company for 18 years. Nobody has ever asked me what I could do. This is the first time in 18 years that I've been responsible for saying, I can do this in this time period. And she was like, torn asunder by it. Oh my gosh, they asked me what I could do. Let's not forget that lesson and let's put all the babbling crap aside about my method, your method, blah, 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 and go back to that principle. Teams that do the work, plan their work, they're empowered. That's, the, that's what real agility is about. And we can't lose that at scale. And we certainly emphasize that in SAFE. We, we, we have a saying, that's latest book, this is my introductory quote, nothing beats an agile team, and that's true. And that still applies even though yeah. we're remote. Right. Excellent. Dean, thank you very much again for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. And thank you to everybody else for listening. I hope to see you next time. Oh, thanks, Martin.